this last week some young guys they sort of read a post that I made a few months ago and they want to pick my brains on that. I want to set the stage by this popular quote but every time this quote is made it's actually credited to the wrong person. The original quote is actually from a Spanish philosopher known as George Santayana. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. He's the one who says that those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. Those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. Now, Winston Churchill, the one-time prime minister, that iconic prime minister of Britain, actually paraphrased that quote many years later. And he said that those who cannot learn from history are condemned to repeat it. You guys read my post on something that is historical. You want to ask some questions as regards that. Who wants to go first? In your post towards the end, we uh, you made an assertion that I was drawn to. Mm-hmm. It says that Africa's uh, freedom was not stolen, but given away. Yeah. And if we have to go go back to that statement, we have to go back to the transatlantic slave trade. Okay. The question is, how did that particular period in history really change the course of Africa's history? How did it change the course of Africa's future? Yeah. Would we have future was taken away in slavery because the people that were taken away into slavery were not old people. They were not 50-year-olds like me. They were teenagers. They were people in their early 20s. So the future was taken away. So there's no way it won't alter the history and how the journey of that nation will actually pan out. But the point I was trying to make there was that the narrative over the years has been that we were taken into slavery. Now, that might, that statement might be true. We were taken into slavery. But you use the correct phrase, transatlantic trade, right? Yes. It was a trade. And that's my point in that post. If it's a trade, that means there is a buyer and there is a seller. Right? Who creates the market? Both of them. Right? The seller can create an environment where what he wants to buy will be available. Right? But regardless of how powerful the seller might be, the buyer still need to buy into the environment that the seller is trying to create. Because I have the product. These children are mine. Right? Even if they came, because in that post I said, even if they came with weapons, even if the Europeans came with weapons to come and take children from here by force, I'm saying that we should ask ourselves the question, how come we didn't have weapons? My point is, solution to this problem will start happening when we take responsibility. For as long as we blame those who took people away into slavery and absorb ourselves any kind of blame and play the victim card, we will never solve the problem. That is still affecting what's happening today. That's my point in that post. We don't take responsibilities. It's because we were colonized. It's because of slave trade. We are no longer colonized. We are no longer slaves, right? But when you look at it critically, because we have not taken responsibility, 
There's neo-colonialism. Our colonialists today are not Europeans. They are politicians. There is still colonialism today. There is still slavery today. So these are the issues to confront. But is it this slavery, this colonialism is with a difference? It's like you are in a jail, right? And the key to the door of that jailhouse is in your pocket. That's the narrative that should drive any kind of protest. So we need to learn from history that we had, you know, elders who are irresponsible. And today, you, the youth need to know that you won't be a youth forever. For every passing day, you are joining the class of elders. So you need to begin to think like an ad, because this youth come out in a very negative way, that I'm just a youth. And there's, there's something I always tell them that youths can lead. You cannot. And youth is not about age. I'm 57, but I can tell you that I'm also a youth in a certain way. Right, because of the way I think. So it's about thinking. Because this, what I see today is youthful exuberance, Elijah, because they've not learned from that history. And it's as if they're condemned to repeating it. Uh, okay, so some Nigerians have the opinion that we are still um, slaves right now because um, our fathers did not fight for independence. They instead signed papers. So if Nigerians had shed blood when they were fighting for their independence, would we have indeed been free? It's not about shedding blood, right? It's not just blood. Because, because blood never helps anybody. There's a graphic example staring us in the face of what's happening in South Africa. South Africa shed blood. It got to a point in South Africa, and I don't want us to get to that point. What ended apartheid in South Africa was the refrain. It's better to die in dignity than to live in ignominy. That was the narrative. It's better to die dignified than live in shame. That was when they really, really took it to the streets. And the apartheid regime were, were forced into negotiations. And, but that, what have we learned from the history of South Africa? Because is South Africa really free today? The South Africa in 1994 that saw the end of apartheid, right? Infrastructurally, in terms of order, in terms of, it's better. The only difference is people are subjugated. But the freed people now is suddenly dawning on them that to, you know, to protest is easier than leading. And that's what they're seeing. The infrastructure is breaking down. That at the time they had no power supply. So these are the kind of things that is you, you, you need to see the end game when you start playing the game. What does it take to win? So that's why we need to learn from that history. If, and that history, the lesson we need to take from it is that of responsibility. We have not taken responsibility for all the ills that has sort of befallen the African, sub-Saharan Africa, since we got independent. In fact, since pre, since slavery, right? We've not learned any lesson. And every dark-skinned person all over the world, they are still in the grip of that, that we have not learned. And that's why we, you know, it's as if we are, you know, we are being condemned to repeating it. Who are the people in jail, you know, in America? Dark-skinned, African-American people, right? Where they are in government, they also subjugate their own people. So, 
they need to know, this youth of today need to know that there is an error of the past committed by the one you call your fathers or your mothers. But it's your responsibility not to perpetuate it. And that's why I wrote that piece. That we need to understand. Because a lot of these youth still play tribal card. They still think like an Igbo. They think like a Hausa. They think like a Yoruba. They even think in some other dialectical kind of way. So they're not changing anything. They're not learning anything. As far as I'm concerned. So that's why some of them will say, Joan, that we're still in, in slavery. Okay, going by your, uh, your answers, I've come to understand that uh, one of the problems we face in the Nigerian society, especially, is the absence of true knowledge of history, mm-hmm. a disconnect of history between the parents and the youth of today. Yeah. How can we successfully bridge that gap and write the history that will ensure that the future generations would be better prepared to handle some of these oppositions that we are facing today? Good question. It's by willingness to learn. Right? And w- willingness to learn is, is I am ready to communicate it. But what is the approach that young people have towards history? They look at it as irrelevant. And that's why it was so easy for the government to remove history even as a subject from schools. So there's a whole generation, they don't even know how we got to where we are. And they've successfully gotten us to a point where we don't have a Nigerian sense because we don't have a sense of history. We don't even know how we got here. Right? So the way we're going to do it, the way I'm looking at it is not going to come in formal settings. You see, how we learned history was from, you know, midnight tales, stories. So you know that sometimes stories are activated by the learning, inquisitive mind of children. Daddy, what is this? Mommy, what is this? Why are we this way? And you know, there's something the young ones need to understand. This easy way out, these cutting corners of wanting to run away, they need to reorientate themselves, right? And ask, there must be a way that we got here. If we don't get to that point where we veered off, so how to bridge that gap is by you so inquisitive to learn. And I remember I was asked this question once while we were discussing this same article. And I said that tons of resources online. Tons of it. But again, these young people, do you have a reading habit? You have a reading habit. That has to be developed. There's a recent documentary that came out that I kept referencing. I don't know how many of those who have heard me, I don't know those who have gone ahead to really watch it. I think it's even on Netflix now. When it came out, it was titled On a Platter. But I think now it's the journey of a, maybe the journey of a nation by Shukoshashore. It's actually basically, you know, give a graphic picture of how we got here. That was when I discovered truly that those who fought for our independence are not the Awolowos, the Amandubilos, and the Zeeks. Those guys merely replaced the colonial masters. Those who really fought for the independence are the Aba women, the tin miners, the, the modus, right? That labor leader. Those are the guys that fought for the independence. When the, when the colonial masters saw that there's no way of journeying, they had to negotiate. And what did they do? The easy way out. They, they called this, you know, this politician, this aspiring, this wannabes to come and take over 
Amandu Belo, Awolo Zik, maybe maybe I can minus Zik. They are all tribal lords. They don't have a Nigerian sense. Amandu Belo is a northerner. Awolowo is a south, is a Yoruba man to the core. Right? I think the only one that is a bit nationalistic among them was Zik. Right? So those are the kind of things to see if you don't understand that stage. Somebody should go and read what led to the coup, the first coup of 1966. What led to the counter coup? What are the underlining narratives, the philosophies? They need to go and there is a book, Why We Struck by Wale Ademoyega. I want you guys to take note. Why We Struck? Go and read it. There's another book I recommended about two years ago by Maxillon, Oil Politics and Violence or something like that. Maybe at the end of this, you can put it on our link. Now, you know, young people should go and read history books about Nigeria. You will discover that. You will understand IPOP. You will understand Arewa. You will understand why Northern Elders Forum will talk the way they talk, demanding that the president should resign. Northern Elders Forum are allies. Buhari is not part of them. Right? Buhari is not part of them. His own children will fit into that bill. So there are a lot of dynamics that we don't understand. Right? The, the reason, for example, I can't think tribally is because I have taken time to learn history. I can't think tribally. I can't even... It's very even difficult for me to see myself as an African. I'm human. That's why I can relate across... So, but, these things come out of study, and there's something that has been one major issue, right? You, you saw the Nance president came out this week with a very thoughtless statement that they are going to shut down private universities. I've never had such a foolish statement in my life. At a time when the Nance president speaks, when he coughs, the nation catches cold. That's how much of a slide that student union activism has actually, I mean, it's gone, it's gone to the dogs. It's so, it's so unfortunate when the guy said that. Private universities are not unionized. Why are you, I mean, private university at the time was, it, it was, you know, it was an alternative, right? It was, a, but, but now it, it's a real deal. If you don't go to private university in Nigeria now, you are doomed. How many months have university students been at home? Nine months. Nine months. You see, there is no way someone in school with that gap can be educated. They can only get a certificate. And those things are deliberate. It's not something that just went to somebody's blind side. They're deliberate. It's a, it's a deliberate plan between ASU and the establishment to destroy a particular generation. For me, that's the protest Right? If a well-educated Nigerian will go join the police, there won't be SARS. If there is SARS, it will be it will be you know it will be for promotion of human good. Right? But we have had a situation in this country where something has been established, where it is the worst set of people that are in positions of governance. Right? Who goes to schools to teach? The guy who came last in class. Right? Who goes to politics? The guy whose certificate is questionable. 
who goes, who becomes a lecturer in the university, the one who couldn't get a job in the bank, right? Is it these are the realities? For me, that's what because we because we don't learn from history. These things keep playing out. Uh, the oppressor, let me use the word oppressor in this case, has found a way to weaponize history. Okay. For example, most of the accounts of the slave trade and the colonial period, if you take into consideration how they were documented, you'll find that they were documented from a colonial mindset. Yeah. How important is it that we retrace back those steps and tell the real stories and how important is it that as protesters, because we are still in, in moments of protest, we take the narrative of the history? Because I remember uh, a statement that Hitler made. He said, politics is history in the making. Yeah. And any protest is political. That's the argument. Yeah. So if what we are engaging in is political, it means we have to take uh, the narrative of history. Yeah. How do we successfully do that in a way that would not affect the next generation? It is, you know, it goes back to my earlier statement. If you are going to rewrite something, if you are going to write an updated version of a book, you must have read the original. Yes. Right. You must have read the original. So if you are, because they said, you know, a friend of mine said, until the hunter or the hunted has the opportunity, you know, of writing his, you know, his own story you will always blame the hunter. I mean, you will always blame the hunted. You know, that kind of a thing. I can't, yeah. I can't quote that, you know, verbatim now. So, the, the point is, if I write a story, I cannot indict myself. If I write the story, Africans have not owned the process of writing their own story. Maybe sometimes out of shame, sometimes out of guilt. I always reference the movie that became so popular, Black Panther. Who wrote Black Panther? He was a white man. I came into Jaws in 1997. I did my doctoral dissertation on the crisis in Jaws. I have to read historical materials about the crisis in Jaws. I have to go back 400 years for me to understand what's actually happening. I have to go through the whole Uthmadam Fodio Jihad. I have to study the terrain here. I have to study some things about Islam, about Christianity, about the traditional way of worship, right? There's no way I can rewrite it. And that's why I said that what is needed here is positive influence. Because if you don't see all the sides, when you get into leadership, you are reactive. You can rewrite history in a reactive way and you can rewrite history by, you know, by telling new stories. Transformation comes by writing and telling and living new stories. That's why Hitler said that, right? Politics is about writing a story, yeah. What story do we want to write? If you don't listen to Fela's album, if you don't read stories of what happened when when the late MK Abiola was brutalized by the Nigerian Air Force, you can't understand what happened at Lekki Gate. The moment you hear that soldiers are coming out, you don't have anything to say. The wisest thing at that time is to leave that place. Right? If you know history, we will have prevented a lot of loss of lives. Mm -hmm. Fela said it. 
go and listen to that music. They had their own commission of inquiry that was in today. He, he, he sang about it. And by the time they finished, the consensus, the story of that music was, he's an unknown soldier. We don't know the soldier. When Abiola was brutalized because the son, blah, 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 at the end of the day, the Nigerian Air Force came out to say, you know soldiers are mad dogs. So you have to understand. If you don't understand that, you won't know what happened. You can't process what happened when the military killed thousands of Shiites. Right? If those Shiite protesters know history, if they hear that the military are coming, the response will have been different. That's why a policeman will tell you, you know those videos, the SARS guys will say, I will kill you and nothing will come out of it. It's history. Because they have killed and nothing has come out. How can anybody be expecting that something will come out of Judicial Commission of Inquiry? Even if it is Legislative Commission of Inquiry, or Executive Commission of Inquiry, or Military Commission of Inquiry, nothing will come out. Because if I write my story, I can't be guilty. We need that sense of history. So if you are going to write new stories, will you make out the time? And I told you also that over the years, Nigerians have been weakened intellectually. The moment you are talking sense, you lose people. They, they are disinterested. So people need to now take personal decision. I want to educate myself. Because you are not going to learn history in school. Like in our own school, the, you know, the high school that I pioneered, we had to find a way, you know, out of curriculum to actually teach our students history. Yeah, because I don't think they do history again. They call it civic something. You know, so those things are, they are strategically done that way. Right? So there is a whole grand plan to weaken Nigerian youths intellectually. The only thing they do on social media is dance, selfie. Those things don't change anything. They don't change. WhatsApp sent Mugabe out of power. WhatsApp. WhatsApp. And you know that Mugabe was the most educated president in the world at that time. He was the most, he had about three PhDs. And that translates to the society. Zimbabweans are one of the most educated, you know, country, you know, citizens in Africa, even in the world. They're the one taking all the jobs in South Africa. Right? At least intellectual jobs. Nigerians go there and take on trade and commerce, which is, which is okay. But see, which one will you have? An educated, you know, commercial person, an educated trader, or somebody who is a trader who is not educated? And I'm not talking about going to school. Right? Igbos are educated traders because they, are, they have their own way of educating a mentoring process. And if you must know, that process is now being even studied in Harvard. Yeah. yeah. So you're saying something about youths and scripts. Mm -hmm. So I, I want to know, because coming together to make a script might not really be easy, especially for youths now. But how can youths come up with good scripts? What are the things they should be looking out for when they are creating a script that would stand the test of time at all? That would make sense? No, that's a very good question. And your question basically tells me, you know, the mentality of youths. When you say something is difficult, when you say something is not easy, what you're saying is it's impossible. 
Because the moment you say it's not easy, right, you now go to how. You know, you now go to how. You see, transformation takes time, right? And the youth need to understand something. We're going to start something, right? We want to start something that even if I'm no longer here on earth, when the result comes out, I'm still going to be so committed to it. That's how transformation happens. So, you painted a very good picture of where the youths are. That's a good diagnostic report. They don't know how to come together. And you know why? Individualism. Self-help. Everybody just want to be on their own. Everybody want to have a name. If you have a society where everybody wants to have a name, nobody has a name. Nobody has a name. If anybody wants to be, you know, because nobody learns from anybody. No, nobody listens. That's, you know, I always give a graphic illustration here about if you're in a WhatsApp group. You guys are not having a conversation. You just drop messages down, just walk away. Forward messages. Forward. You are not having a conversation. That's the way the youths are. If you really, you know, and that's why you see that. The first advice I give to those that were at the forefront of that protest then was, let it be a very faceless kind of leadership. But that only happens when everybody is reading the same script. Right? In Nigeria today, we are not reading the script along tribal lines, religious lines, lines. All those, they've used those kind of things. You see, when I got my, that set my mind free was when I had a conversation with an Afghan guy. It was then I knew that in Afghanistan, they were never Muslims historically. Islam was a means of colonization. Just as in Nigeria. But we brandish Christianity today as if we were born with it. We brandish Islam as if we were born with it. They are foreign. And that guy said, this is what my forefathers said to the Islamists that came to introduce Islam. Why are you forcing us to accept Islam? Why don't you explain it to us? Explain it to us. Why did they force us to accept Christianity? Why not explain it? Because they, they don't want you to think. They want to erode your language, erode your culture, erode everything. Right? Today people dress Christian. You dress Islam. It's not possible. It's, a, you know, it's something that doesn't exist. So we need to have a sense of history. Nigeria, Africa had a life before colonization. Right? We had a life before Christianity. We had a life before Islam. What does that look like? That life, we had wars. We had tribal conflicts. How were they settled? Those are the kind of questions to ask. But when you talk about, Af if I the word Africa now reminds you of something that is uncouth, is lacking civilization. That's why it's the why that we tell you how to fight racism. I told a lot of my siblings who are American citizens this last Thanksgiving. This is the first time I can boldly tell you why I'm not wishing you happy Thanksgiving. Why? Elijah, I just read the history. So history is critical. I just read the history. What they call Thanksgiving was genocide. It's right there. I'm not, it's not a conspiracy theory. It's right there. Racism was a script. Somebody who want to mention, you know, names like George Washington, they say the great George Washington. Go and read it. 
We celebrate this, our ancestors. That's why that line in our national anthem, I don't sing it. The labors of our heroes pass. I want it to be in vain so that we can write a new story. Because that labor has not benefited us. It's a dark past. All right, thank you very much for hanging out with me on Dr. Reggie Podcast today. I want to believe that you have learned something from history and you have been removed from the community of those who are condemned to repeating it. I think we're going to do another one on this historical perspective of Nigeria because of how critical it is for us to be able to journey forward. My intention on this, you know, on this podcast is to educate, is to illuminate, is to transform minds so that our nation can really be that one that we really, really dream of. Hang out with me again next Saturday. See you then. Bye.